0: Powered through the Alaska Airlines studios. This, this is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app.
1: Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross.
2: Here we go now. Joining us on the Emerald Pink Casino Sportsbook Hotline, his latest is up on the New York Times right now. A hitter who's happy to go his own way. It's all about Ty France. Scott Miller, the author of that piece, joins us right now. Scott, how's it going?
0: Real good. Uh, happy spring training to you. Happy World Baseball <laughs> Classic to you. Exactly. Uh, happy March Madness. Good time of year. <laughs> Thank you.
2: Absolutely. You know, we were debating the other day, Scott, whether like April or March were better months. And we settled on April, but let me tell you what, it, it doesn't get much better than this time of the year.
0: No, it's pretty, good. especially coming out of there's always that dead time after the yep. Super Bowl. And, <laughs> uh, you know, now it's like, yeah, all the conference tournaments going today and all kinds of spring training storylines. And, uh, Yeah, it's good stuff.
2: Well, hey, Scott, I'll tell you why uh, my co-host Michael Bumpus and I uh, especially loved your article is, you know, we've been talking so much, obviously, about Julio, who's captured so much attention here, and Jared Kelnick, who was supposed to meet these high expectations and is performing well, so it's kind of dominated storylines. And just the other day, uh, we, along with our producer, Curtis, were saying, God, we really aren't talking about Ty enough. Like, he could be, yep. <laughs> he could be a huge impact here, too. And perfect timing with this piece, because you, you spent time talking with him. Uh, and, you know, I'm going to uh, wait to jump ahead to one of my favorite parts, and I'm going to start with just a funny part, which was you hearing about his trip to France. What did he tell you?
0: Yeah, and, you know, I mean, it's a little tricky, especially from a writer's perspective, for, for a couple of things. One, um, you know, his name, it, you could go all kinds of cornball stuff and, and he ended up with a lot of stupid puns on his name, you know, <laughs> France, it's so unusual. But, but when I was in Mariners camp, you know, I heard he went to Europe over the winter. Somebody told me that. And I was like, this is before I talked to Ty. And I said, Oh my gosh, it, it did he go to France? And, that's just one of the fun parts of my job you can kind of explore you know you hear a, a little tidbit and you follow a thread and um anyway so when we finally sat down um you know i asked him i said okay i heard you went to europe and he told me all about where he went you know his wife's family's originally from croatia they went to london to rome they visited croatia and take in some culture there and he said yeah and then we finished in paris and um uh, and they said he had never been to France before. So, that, uh, yeah, it was funny. I couldn't resist asking him. I said, well, how'd that go? And, yeah, he told me the funny anecdote I led with about, yeah, he said, we checked into the hotel in Paris, and and behind it, they just immediately started jabbering in France in <laughs> French to me. And he said, and I don't speak it. And so I had this blank look, and he said, yeah, the guy behind the desk says, well, don't you speak French? And he said, I'm sorry, sir, I don't. And the guy says, shame on you. (laughs) And I love that on multiple levels. I mean, I think it's just a funny bit. But then beyond that, um, the personality of Ty France, you know, self-deprecating enough to take that in good humor and then to talk about it. And, you know, I mean, I love humor and I love – people that are perfectly fine at poking a little bit of fun at themselves and it ended up being a funny story and what a nice personal young man Ty Francis
3: yeah yeah that's awesome you um got to know him a little bit his his funny side kind of going off of you getting to know him when you sat down and you spoke to him is there anything you picked up on Francis demeanor um his personality that lets you believe, like, yeah, this guy is definitely a good hitter and he's capable of repeating what he did the first half of the season?
0: Yeah, a couple things, I think. Uh, You know, one, there's a quote from the backup catcher Tom Murphy in there, which I found interesting. You know, Tom said, you know, I mean, you know, these guys, like any different craft, whether it's construction and you're building houses or whether it's baseball or whether it's painting, People in that business, they all, we all talk about our business, right? And 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 what I do, and and how do you do this? And and maybe I could learn to do something better by picking up something from you. And so we all talk about that. But Tom Murphy said, he said, you know, this guy Ty France knows his swing better than anybody I I ever met in the game, and he said a lot of us obviously there's hitting coaches and there are coaches that help us with when our swings get off kilter and they help us coach us back to where we should be and he said but the great you know weapon ty france has is yeah the coaches help him but beyond that he knows his swing more than anybody and that combined with you know, his strikeout rate is pretty low. He, he, he's a contact hitter. I love the old school part of Ty France too, mm-hmm. where he hits to all fields, you know, in this power game we're in today where people just try to, you know, hit home runs or, or just pull the ball. Yeah, he goes to all fields. And, and that was one thing I was interested in talking to him about as well. You know, I've covered baseball and I shouldn't even say how long, but a few <laughs> decades now. And, um, um, I started in San Diego and then I went other places, but then I live in San Diego now. And so I got to know Tony Gwynn quite a bit. And I knew Ty France played for Tony Gwynn. Uh, God rest his soul. One of the all time greats and people and hitters. And, but I, you know, so I was kind of curious with Ty France being such a complete hitter, you know, Whether he came to San Diego State that way or whether he learned that under Tony Gwynn because Tony hit to all fields. and So we had a good discussion about that, and he said, yeah, absolutely. He he was a hit to all fields kind of guy, but he said, yeah, going to San Diego State and learning some stuff from Tony Gwynn really hammered some things home. And he said, I didn't even process it all at the time, but now – there's still stuff like a, you know he has drills with the batting tee he does that he learned under Tony Gwynn was big on that. He said sometimes when my swings off, I'll, I'll go to sleep. I'll watch some Tony Gwynn swings on YouTube before I go to go to bed. And um, yeah, yeah, I mean that part I found very interesting as well.
2: Yeah, that really jumped off the page. <clears throat> it's what I wanted to get to. is kind of like my favorite part is it was just very clear yeah. that you were highlighting like there's kind of this. It's not nostalgia. It's just you're right. It's a part of the game that it's so simple a pure hitter that we just don't appreciate as much um but then you also talked about how useful that was for seattle's park as well uh tell us about some of your conversations with service about that and some of your own takeaways yep
0: yes and and that's as we all know t-mobile park isn't for everybody we've seen this over the years right i mean and, and again Mentioning how long I've covered baseball, I mean, I go back to you know my first couple of years covering baseball. You know, I mean, the kingdom was still going, and we all remember what a how loud and raucous that was, what a great atmosphere. But also, you know, guys like Jay Buter were dropping fifty home runs. You know, it was a it, boy, it was a hitter's park. And then, you know, there was an adjustment when they Mariners moved to then Safeco Field, now T-Mobile Park. You know, the guys on the team found it jarring because. It wasn't what they were used to. The hitters, I mean, pitchers all loved it, and
1: we've seen,
0: you know, hitters over the years. You know, certain hitters have, uh, like Nelson Cruz, you know, can hit anywhere. And when he was with the Mariners, um, you know, his style of hitting was just fine for t Park. But others. Robinson Cano didn't work out so well, um, you know his homer numbers dropped, and you could kind of see it coming because the lefty hitters in Yankee Stadium they got that short right field porch and it's made to order for the lefty hitters. But you know, a guy like him comes to T-Mobile, and all of a sudden the power numbers go down, and you know, uh, and then there have been other hitters that it didn't work out so well, um, it, you know. But Ty France, if you're that style hitter where you're not dependent on a short right-field porch or or a short fence in left field. If you can, you know, hit the alleys and hit the gaps and, you know, hit the ball from the left-field foul line all the way to the right-field foul line. Um, you know, and I guarantee you, Jerry Depoto was looking at, that was one of the reasons he acquired Ty France in that trade a couple years ago is, you know, when you're constructing a team, uh, it, you know, you, you, to a degree it helps to build it according to your park because you are playing 81 of 162 games in, in your home park. And and um, when you're a complete hitter, and, and, you know, and I mean I don't want to make it sound like Ty Francis on his way to the Hall of Fame. I mean, and he's the first to tell you he hurt his elbow last year. The second half of the season didn't go the way he wanted it to. But you look at a guy like that's track record. You know, he's hit every level of the minor leagues. He's hit in the major leagues. And when you're that style of hitter, you put the bat on the ball. Scott Service said his bat-to-ball skills are elite, um, and they've watched this time and time again. Um, that plays in a park like T-Mobile.
3: You talk about Ty and in, in his game, and when you look at the Mariners roster, there's some power out there, right? You got Julio, you got uh, Suarez, and I have Teoscar Hernandez. For this team to take the next step. How important is Ty Friends, you know, for, for them to go back-to-back-to-back to back to back 90 wins and get into the playoffs? What role does Ty have to play in this?
0: Yeah, yeah, he's he's important because the way this team has won the last couple of years and the, and the way it's built and the, just the way baseball is, I mean, you know, you can't just bring in LeBron James and put, you know, another talent player and three stooges around him and figure, well, you're going to win. I mean, Baseball doesn't work that way, and you know the Mariners certainly have the nucleus of a a very good thing going with with the names you just mentioned: Julio Rodriguez, Suarez, uh, Teoscar Hernandez. But you've got to have balance up and down the lineup, and you know, a guy like France. You know, everybody has a role to play, right? And and. You're not going to expect those majestic tape measure homers that you see from Julio Rodriguez. You're not going to see that from Ty France. But a guy like France plays a huge role because, you know, on-base percentage, getting on base, keeping the line moving as the cliche in baseball goes. And, you know, those guys that are going to hit a bunch of homers, Rodriguez, Suarez, other guys have to get on base. I mean, if you hit a bunch of solo homers, you know, it, it may look pretty as the ball's going out, but, you know, one run here, one run there, and you lose four to three or three to two, it's, it, the end result isn't going to be what you want. So you've got to get, you know, certain guys need to get on base, certain guys need to put the ball over the fence or, or you know, drive in the runs. And, you know, it all fits together. And, and when Seattle, what they built, when it's all fits together the way it's supposed to, then... You know, the, we've seen the Mariners are a contender in in the American League West, and things are getting easier. We see the money Texas Rangers are spending mm-hmm. and what they're trying to do. But, yeah, I think, you know, a healthy Ty France this year, if that elbow stay is right as he says it is right now, and, you know, it, it, the challenge is going to be to replicate his first half last year in the second half. and if, And if he can put a complete season together, Man, that's going to be big for Seattle. All
2: right. Well, I don't want to spoil too much of the article. uh, So me and Bump are just going to tell you guys to go read it. It's on the New York Times. Um, You can search a hitter who's happy to go his own way. Ty France, New York Times. I saw some links on Reddit. Uh, You can uh, check it out from Scott's profile. Uh, Highly recommend it. Scott, just one last question that uh, we want to kind of squeeze in here. Uh, You mentioned that you're just kind of like a, a classic baseball guy. You love the old school nature of baseball. How do you feel about the rule changes?
0: You know, it's funny, um, everything you just said would have led me to say even about myself until a few years ago, I hate them all. You know, I don't want the sport to change, but I don't feel that as an old school baseball guy, it's gotten, I mean, I, yeah, I don't cover other sports for the most part. I'm, I'm 98% baseball for like the past 30 years. I've devoted my life to it, love the sport, doing exactly what I want to do, um, still find magic in it but that said the last four or five or six years i think it's gotten really really hard to watch um uh, you know i mean i get analytics are important i, I don't want to i'm not an anti-analytics guy but that said the game we that is played now or at least up until this year partly because of analytics it's gotten into paralysis by analysis and I mean, it shouldn't take a pitcher forty seconds in between pitches to make sure the next one is just right. And when we go four or five minutes between balls in play, I mean, even guys like me, it's like, oh my gosh, it's like paint drying. So I think I'm hopeful. The best way to say I think is Theo Epstein, the Commissioner's Office, said he he's, he thinks with some of these rule changes, the pitch clock. And the, the limiting of shifts, outline of shifts, that the game is going to be more like the game so many of us grew up watching. That's my hope this year. And from what I've seen in spring training, even players, I think, are on board with, yeah, you know, this game moves along. The tempo is better now. The pace of play is better. I'm optimistic. I'm really looking forward to this season and seeing how that goes.
2: All right, he is Scott Miller of the New York Times, a baseball writer. He's got a great piece up right now on Thai France. Guys, go check it out. We really enjoyed it. And Scott, we enjoyed this interview. Thank you so much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks,
0: Scott. My pleasure. Thank you both for uh, having me on and the nice words you said.
2: All right, let's get to four down territory.
1: This, this is four down territory going inside, inside the, the game. game what former seahawks and Cougar wide receiver michael Bump.
2: jimmy g is rumored to be the target of the panthers the texans and the raiders where do you think he lands and what's the best fit
3: jimmy g is hot on these streets right now especially with aaron <laughs> so hot sounding right like now. he's about to go to the jets you got Carr with the new orleans saints jimmy g where should he go Now, I've been saying the Texans look good because he has a former defensive coordinator over there, and D'Amico Ryans, there's some familiarity there. They are probably going to draft a quarterback. You need a guy to kind of be the bridge guy, fill in the gaps. But then you throw on the Panthers. What's attractive about the Panthers that have DJ Moore, a 1,000-yard receiver, underrated receiver at that? And they have a good run game over there as well. Frank Reich, I believe, is a head coach over there. He's good with veteran quarterbacks. But I look at the Raiders and I go, all right, the Raiders should make their bid, like a strong bid. They're banking on Tom Brady, not going to happen. Maybe Aaron Rodgers, not looking like that's going to happen. Derek Carr is gone. Jimmy G has a relationship with the head coach over there, Mick Daniels, who's over there with the New England Patriots for a long time. Take a look at that. I think the Texans is probably his best bet, but I see a scenario where the Raiders get this guy, and it's probably a better situation. You got Devontae. You got Waller. You got Renfro. They just signed Josh Jacobs, franchise tag. The dude, he's getting $10 million this year. On paper, Raiders is the best fit for Jimmy G, but I think he's going to Texas.
2: Second down. There's a wide receiver who's a free agent that you feel could be a solid number two or number three. But where should he play this year?
3: This is one of the more forgotten, really good receivers because he's been banged up. Might have been the Super Bowl MVP if he didn't get banged up. Oh? I'm talking about Mr. One Hand Catch himself, Odell Beckham. He can be a solid number two. A Monroe St. Brown over there in Detroit is all by himself. I say he goes to Detroit. You got Jared Goff over there who had a good year. I believe he was a Pro Bowl alternate. Still does, still counts. My guy had a good year. And um, you got to sign Jamal Williams for running back. You still got Josh Reynolds over there. But after the loss of Hawkinson, you just have a Ross, staying Brown. There's no one else really over there to help this guy out. So I say Odell Beckham, go there to Detroit. It's indoors. I know he's not a fan of turf right now, but most of the league is turf. Got to deal with that. Yeah, Yeah, Dan Campbell, I feel like that can keep it 100 with Odell Beckham. They can connect. They can relate. This is one of the best offenses in the game. Number eight passing offense. Number five when it comes to scoring. You add Odell Beckham into the mix, the possibilities of Jared Goff in that offense looks good.
2: I don't love that Detroit is a team that will likely be kind of competing with Seattle for a wild card spot. I'm just assuming – in this case, the uh, the 49ers continue to return and are really competitive. But they're a team that's hard not to root for. That being said, third down. We know uh, that the Hawks will have to make some roster changes so they can build a defense to support Gino. What's a name on the defensive line you feel the Hawks need to keep, though?
3: Now, Monet is hurt. He's yeah. probably not going to be ready to go. We'll see what happens with Al Woods. I'm hearing... Collier is probably not going to be back. You got to bring back a guy who had a good five games to end the season. And I'm talking about Quentin Jefferson, who's on his third stint with the Seahawks. Last five games, he had the fourth most QB pressures from a D tackle. He had a higher pressure rate than Chris Jones and DeForest Buckner. He had a career-high five-and-a-half sacks. His base salary is $3.8 million. I believe he's going to be around $6 million cap hit. You can save $4.5 million by cutting him, but you need guys to play the position. Mm. Yes, you want to revamp. You want to bring in young guys. You want to allow Clint Hurd to have these guys execute the defense the way that he wants to, but you need familiar faces as well. And Quentin Jefferson had himself a nice second half of the season. I got to stick with Q. Bring him back.
2: Fourth down. We heard from Geno Smith in his press conference, and then Geno joined us for an interview. So, what's the best thing you heard from Geno today?
3: I saw, a couple, I heard a couple things. He said, one, I'm going to get better, and two, he wants to play football for ten and twelve more years. That's some Tom Brady stuff. That is a Tom Brady effect right there. Is that people say, look, if I take care of my body, which he has, hasn't mm-hmm. been hit a lot, if I make myself available. If I just play decent football, I might hang around for a while, but I think Geno Smith is going to play more than just decent football. He also was asked if they bring in a quarterback at number five, how is he going to handle that? He goes, I'm a competitor. I'm going to help that man out, and we're going to compete because I believe in myself. He's not going to see that young man as a threat, but an opportunity to help somebody grow. Someone had to help geno smith throughout his career those years where he was not a starter where he's sitting behind hall of famers where he's learning from the best someone had to push him along the way and keep him positive and stay in his ear he could pass along the knowledge that's all football is about too man you learn something you learn how to maneuver you learn how to save money all this stuff all the ogs in Mm -hmm. football used to take us young guys under their wing and say this is how it's done this is how you're professional i think with him making his money this year and feeling secure even more secure we already we already know he's a secure man out there even more secure man I think he's going to be good. Geno Smith said a lot of good things, but those are the three things that stick out to me. I'll
2: remind you guys that you can hear more from Geno Smith next because we are going to replay that interview in full. You mentioned Geno Smith wanting to play a long career and that Tom Brady effect. Do you think that there's an effect from any other players on any other positions in the league? Like I was just thinking as you were talking, like I wonder if there are uh, defensive players that have had an impact on like our own conception of how long a player can be effective. And I was thinking linebackers because of KJ and Bobby, but that's Mm -hmm. such a hyper-local experience. Um, And there are a couple other obvious examples at linebacker, but uh, then you have like a random defensive lineman. You have like the Carlos Dunlaps of the world or Mm -hmm. uh, Dwight Freeney, who just kind of stay not as effective, but fairly productive uh, well into their 30s.
3: Yeah, Ray Ray Lewis played for a long time. I wonder, Reggie White played for a little bit, Danny. Reggie White played a nice little
1: career. He s- retired too for a couple years, and then came back with Carolina. Mm-hmm.
3: Can
2: you guys think of a defensive back that played a really long career? Deon. Oh Deon. yeah, yeah. He until he was almost
1: forty. Yeah. yeah.
2: Maybe it's just a, maybe it's less of a positional thing outside of quarterback, where uh, your entire job is people protecting you. Uh, maybe part of it is just great players. Like there are great players who have careers cut short, mm-hmm. but then there are guys where it's like you have this reservoir of talent, like. You on Decline is still really good. <laughs> Let's see what's on tap.
0: This is What's on Tap with Bump and Stacy, brought to you by Dick's Driving. So, folks... What's on? Wazoo Manor
2: taking on number 4 Oregon in the Pac-12 tourney. That's coming your way at 2.30. We will take you to the pregame show right at 2 p.m., so don't go anywhere. Then later tonight, Kraken Senators at 7 p.m. You're listening to Bump and Stacey on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Send your questions in for What I Need to Know. That's a 45 after 866-979-3776. First, though, Geno Smith coming your way next.
1: Bumpin' Stacy.
2: Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios.
1: On Seattle
0: Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross.
2: We are joined now by Pro Bowler, Comeback Player of the Year, QB1. It's Gino Smith on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Gino, I mean, congratulations. How are you feeling right now?
4: Oh, I'm feeling so great. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me on.
2: We're so happy to have you on. I mean, I, I, my first question for you, and Bump's got a lot of really good football questions, and, and we're going to get to a lot of it, but I have to imagine, you know, you've answered this question a million times, but I, I just, I, I got to hear it from you. When you're agreeing to this deal, you just officially signed it, but when you agree to it, is there a moment you kind of took for yourself?
4: Uh, honestly, no. <laughs> on I was, to the next. Uh, I, was, I was working out. And kind of getting taking phone calls and was in between sets. And yeah it was a hard workout, so I didn't really have a a chance (laughs) to uh, celebrate. But, um, you know, this moment is is for my family. Uh, You know, it's for all the fans, all the Seahawks fans, you know, all the Geno Smith fans, um, you know, people who have been rooting for me my entire career. Uh, But for me, man, I'm just focused on, you know, the business and, and, and looking forward to winning a bunch of games for the Seahawks.
3: Hey, you know we appreciate you, man, and congratulations again on your deal, man. We're happy to have you. Um, but just looking at your career, you start off with the the Jets. I um, mean, then you move on and you play behind three probably future Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Um, I know you've been waiting your turn. You've been patient, but is there something you learned along the way from each one of your stops?
4: Yeah, I mean you're right. You know, I was uh, privileged to 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 be able to be in rooms with three Hall of Famers, and the thing that I learned is that you know I'm one of them. You know, I was able to uh, play alongside alongside some great players. And, you know, I never felt like um, they did things that I couldn't do. And mm-hmm. so that allowed me to have confidence in myself uh, throughout this entire time. Um, and I also would lend, you know, any knowledge that I had. You know, I would be a sponge as well as, you know, trying to – I would learn, but I would also try and help those guys and help them see the game the way that I did. And and maybe, you know, some of the, those things would uh, would help them and help their game. And so – just being a consummate professional, being a great teammate, um, just just lending you know every bit of um, you know confidence that I have and, and giving it to the starter allowed me to once I became a starter just you know kind of go out there and just play freely.
2: Was there ever a moment? Because obviously you believed in yourself, you never thought you weren't good enough, and you had good reason to think that. But was there ever a moment where? Either you're talking to your wife, maybe your family, or even John Schneider. And did you ever hit a low point where you thought, like, what if it doesn't happen?
4: No, man. You know, like, I've never had a low point, you know, and I, you know, I know that people kind of try to look at it and and create this narrative, but, um, man, like, I've been in the NFL for 10 years, and, you know, I've been, my family's been good for 10 years. And, um, you know, the key, you know, for me is to always take care of your family and always, you know, be that rock for my family. And so that's what I've been doing, you know, back home in my community in South Florida, you know, we do so many things in the community mm-hmm. and help so many people. And that's what it's about for me. Um, you know, the football side of it is is fun and it's something that I enjoy doing, but it, I know that life's much bigger than that. And so I would never put myself in a box and just say, Hey, I'm just a football player because I have so much more to offer. And so I wouldn't let those things get to me or make me um, think lesser of myself. Yeah.
3: Hey, you know, there's probably about three to four seasons in between you getting um, your start and playing a full game. But then Russell goes down with a finger injury and uh, you come in and, and lead the team and almost uh, lead a game winning drive. And then you play four games, 68 percent completion rate, 702 yards, five touchdowns, one interception. What did that span of games do for you mentally? And uh, just proving to yourself or anybody just getting out there and just saying, look, man, I still got this. I can move the ball down the field.
4: Yeah, I mean, I was, um, you know, I remember that night, you know, that Thursday night and when Russ got hurt. And, and to be honest, he didn't want to come out that game. You know, he, he kept going back in and I kind of had to tell him, like, hey, man, it's it's kind of my time. You know, I I got to go out here right now. You know, I kind of felt it in my spirit just the entire year that, you know, something was going to happen. And so when I got that opportunity, I just wanted to go out there and, and, and play ball. You know, just having have an opportunity to play with these guys and, and be out there competing with my teammates is something that I truly enjoy. But, um, you know, I had done well in preseasons before. Uh, that gave me confidence. And then obviously, you know, playing a three-game stretch, you know, we were one and two, and, and winning is what matters the most. But I felt good out there, and so I knew that, you know, I could improve and get better, uh, and I still feel that way. And so as long as I continue to improve, um, you know, I think the sky's the limit. I'm only 32 you know, I got another ten to twelve years in this league and you know I'm wanting to get better every single year.
2: Hey Gino, you had the line of the year in the NFL in week one and I gotta tell you, I mean it was replaying. You were the the Twitter header photo for NFL, like their official Twitter account. I mean it was like everyone's favorite quote. Everyone was talking about it because it just spoke to so many people. I need you to be honest. Did did it just go off script? Like it just came to you, or did you prepare it?
4: No, I was completely no, just off the brain. What? Like the question <laughs> kind of caught me off guard. You know, she asked me like, "What do you say to the people that wrote you off?" And right. I was
1: like,
4: kind of taken aback because I didn't really know what to say, and I just kind of flipped it, and uh, it turned out to be a great thing. You know,
2: everyone loved it, so that was cool. You know what we say, bump. Bars, bars, all
3: bars, <laughs> but we, we appreciate uh, those moments. And I, me personally, you I think some of your best moments happen after you make a mistake. There's so many times where um, you've thrown an interception, but then that next drive, you guys go 12 plays, 75 yards, and you're dropping a dime in the process. Is there something you tell yourself or go through after those mistakes when you're on the sideline? How are you able just to bounce back in those moments and, and keep this team in the game?
4: Yeah, I mean, first of all, you don't want to make those mistakes, you know, right? Like, let's try to eliminate all those. But, you know, we're humans and things happen. And, um, you know, for me, whenever something negative happens, I just kind of click back into who I am, just knowing who I am. And it makes you focus that much more, you know, it makes you you pay attention that much more. And, um, you know, I think, you know, the guys around me feed off that you know, they, they're they looking around to see what you do after a mistake. You know, everyone, you know, the quarterback's going to celebrate and everyone gets happy mm-hmm. when you throw a touchdown. But what do, what do you do when, um you know, you make a mistake that could, you know, lose the game for your team? How do you respond and bounce back? And I always want to be an example of re- resiliency and so, um, I think that's something that, you know, I, I want to continue, you know, obviously eliminate the mistakes. But if something does happen, the guys know that, you know, I'm never going to fall to a waiver. I'm always going to be the same guy.
2: Hey, Pete Carroll has really openly had a lot of faith in you. I mean, when you were not on this roster yet last March, he was saying, yeah, if Gino here, you know, he he's probably leading the QB competition. And I remember thinking like, oh, my gosh, like this is great news for Gino's agent. <laughs> but like Pete hasn't cared. Like he's he's been a big advocate. Did your relationship with him uh, even grow even more this year? I mean, what's that like?
4: Yeah, our relationship, Coach Carroll and I, yeah. have, uh, we've always had a great relationship. You know, I remember we played when I was on the Chargers the year before I got here. Uh, we played the Seahawks in the preseason, and uh, I ended up throwing a touchdown to Mike Williams on the right sideline on a goal ball, and then we played you guys in the regular season here, mm-hmm. and uh, I, got, I got to speak to Coach Carroll before the game, and He's like, uh, yeah, man, you just stay on the sideline. You know what I mean? We don't need you out here today. But, you know, just him saying that, I watched Coach Carroll, you know, since he was at USC, you know, growing up. And so it's kind of a dream come true just to be coached by him. And I tell him that all the time. And, you know, he doesn't like when I say that, but it really is. And so, you know, when I was a backup, you know, we would communicate on the sideline. And when I got my opportunity to start our communication, uh, it grew. But, Mm -hmm. you know, his his demeanor and the way that he coaches us never changes. He's got a great relationship with every single player on the team. And uh, that's what I think makes him such a great coach.
3: Gino, you're you're inked up for a few years. What, the Hawks got the, the number five pick in the draft, and they said they're open to anything. They're open to bringing a young quarterback in for you to hopefully mentor, mentor or whatnot. Um, how do you feel about that? If they were to bring a quarterback in, are you willing to mentor? Would you embrace that? And and have they even spoken to you about that? Or you kind of just do your thing and where the cookie crumbles, you just ride with it?
4: Yeah, I mean, I know that, you know, they, if, if that conversation needed to be had, you know, Coach Carroll and, and John would have that conversation with me. But I know that they know that um, the type of player I am, the type of teammate I am, it doesn't matter who it is, whether it was Drew Locke, whether it was Russell Wilson or Eli Manning, Phillip Rivers, I'm going to you know, try my best to help that person, that player, um, be the best that he can be. Uh, and, and it doesn 't matter if we 're competing or not, because the best man should win the job, and I believe in myself, so you know i 'm going to help everybody out you know i 'm going to help all my teammates be be great and you know including myself, and hopefully they would do the same for me because uh you know I think that all breeds excellence and competition you know brings out the best in everybody so i i don 't see why not you know i 'm going to compete regardless yeah. and i 'm going to have that chip on my shoulder regardless i 'm never going to um you know feel complacent you know I have to continue to work hard I have to continue to grow and so um, you know whoever the you know whoever they draft whether it's another quarterback or you know any position I'm going to help that player you know be the consummate professional but also be a great player because that's my job as a leader and a quarterback
3: last one I got for you man I saw NFL on Twitter released your top 10 throws of the season and there were two that I, I really enjoy one was a game winner I believe the DK against the Chargers but my favorite one was the dime over the top in the back of the end zone to Tyler lock against New Orleans. Which one was your favorite throw?
4: Uh, yeah, I think that one, dude, it's so many of them. Honestly, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's some that weren't even on the top 10. I, it's hard to say which one, but um, I would say like the coolest one was probably the one to Tyler, just because there's like four guys around him in New Orleans. And, I would say, you know, the ball was a good ball, but just his concentration to be able to, you know, just run under that ball and still catch it with all those guys falling at his feet and, and diving at the ball. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool uh, and a great moment for us, too. You know, it was early in the season, and yeah. it was kind of one of those moments where we said, okay, yeah, we, we can be explosive, and, and, and that was a moment for us.
2: See, Gino, you got to get the Seahawks to send over some tape to the NFL and be like, hey, we thought it should be a top 15. Here's a few more plays we'd <laughs> like yeah, to I would include. Say probably top
4: 30. <laughs> exactly, a, a exactly. 30.
2: <laughs> All right. Hey, Gino, we are getting nothing but love on on the text line right now from listeners. Uh, hey, Gino's my favorite Seahawk now. Gino's so relatable. I love how real he's been we've really appreciated your time we know that you are you're making the rounds you just had a press conference but uh we appreciate you know the moment to just kind of uh take a break and kind of reflect on the season and, and talk about this moment it's 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 really resonating with people and, and we appreciate it man thank you
4: thanks you know and hey, thank you so much thanks for having me on i look forward to more
2: all right, what I need to know coming your way, and we need your questions. 866-979-3776. Text any question you have. Any question to the Mac and Jacks text line: 866-979-3776. That's next.
1: Bumpin' Stacy powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios on Seattle
0: Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacey Ross.
2: It's What I Need to Know, brought to you by All Red Heating, Cooling, Electric. Get your questions in now to the Mac and Jack's text line. That number you are texting is 866-979-3776. And I need some questions here, but I got a couple to get us started. Again, any question you want. Um, we'll start with this one. What I Need to Know, which of your alma maters has the best football venue? You. We've been talking some Pac-12 today. Now Pac-10. Uh, the texter said ironically, these are the three college football stadiums I've been to, and they're all fantastic. I am voting mine.
1: I, I think it's safe to say. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna say
3: for the views,
2: Husky Stadium. Husky
3: Stadium. For the experience,
2: Martin Stadium. Martin Stadium.
3: And, and Curtis. And for do you wanna, the weather,
2: we got for two. The- uh, first of all, we are outnumbered by Cougs right now. There's three. To neither of us are from the same school, so yeah,
1: yeah, and bump control room.
2: God, it's like if I just say cougs, they immediately raise their hands and like (laughs) do this. Uh, I'll allow allow a split vote with Martin. Oh, you'll allow it? I'll allow it. it. Yeah, thanks
3: for the allowance. Oh,
2: go cougs. (laughs) What I need to know maybe I missed it, but why hasn't there been any Drew Lock talk? Are we keeping him? Is it dependent on the draft?
3: Drew Locke is going to go out there and try to see what he can see when he can see it in that free agent market. And I think that he deserves to be in a place where he has a legit chance to try and be a starter. He's Mm -hmm. too young to be thrown away like they tried to do Gino. So I think he'll test the market and I think that the Hawks will draft a quarterback so there'll be no need for him to be here in Seattle anymore.
2: Yeah, I think one of your unpopular sports opinions when we did this earlier was almost they got to let Drew go. Mm -hmm. Not like release, I mean like Give up on the chase yeah. and just let him have a chance to to get some starting reps. Uh, what I need to know: What was your favorite answer from the Gino conversation?
3: Favorite answer would be the last one, well, second to last one, when we're talking about his favorite throws. And he said that um, the NFL put out a top 10. He said there was about 30 of them things. (laughs) Not 10, (laughs) 30.
2: But he also corrected me when I was like, you should have had the Seahawks send them five and been like top 15. He said they could have had top 30. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Mine was, uh, you know what? I think mine was either him saying that um, his answer on Thursday, uh, excuse me, Monday Night Football was off the top of his head. Mm -hmm. And it was because she asked him, uh, how did it feel when people wrote you off? So he kind of bounced off of that. He was surprised by the question, and he just went off of her phrasing of it. Uh, and my other favorite answer was him stressing, like, you know, he like the narrative that he's just like suffered in silence is for six years isn't really a true one. That he's Boss. kind of enjoyed playing, and he's always thought he was really good. Just didn't get those starting reps. Yep. Uh, what I need to know again? Get your questions into the Max Jax text line eight six six nine seven nine three seven seven six. What do you think the Huskies should look for in their next basketball coach? Still Mike Hopkins, by the way. Should they pluck a young There's coach? There's no guarantee. <laughs> should, should they pluck a young coach from a blue blood school or go for a veteran?
1: You're not getting anybody from a blue blood school. Just you don't know anything, to Chris. Your, what's it? To pop your bubble.
2: Okay, first of all.
1: You are going to go the route of getting somebody from a mid-major. Probably a head coach of a mid-major right now uh, is going to be your best route because... Look, U Dub is a mid-level Pac-12 mid level Pac 12 basketball program. Uh actually no. U C L A gun, we're we're the top of the top. Uh but the facilities aren't to the level of a blue blood program. Like you gotta find somebody that's that's hungry for this job that considers it to be like a huge opportunity, and Dude. you're not going to get that from a Power 5 school.
3: This is what you do. You go over to Garfield, and you get Brandon Roy, and you have him be your head coach because he's going to be able to recruit locally. He's a legend. If you want to kickstart your basketball program, get Brandon Roy. Just one state with Garfield.
2: What I need to know, what video game frustrated you the most growing up, like controller tossing frustrated?
3: Oh, uh, Back in the day... Probably... Ah, Gallagher. That's too old for Isn't y'all. he the
2: man that smashes watermelons? Uh, no, no. That's
3: Gallagher. Oh. <laughs> Gallagher,
2: it's
1: Gallagher. Gallagher. like his <laughs> brother old stole his routine. RIP to type type
3: one of them. Yeah.
2: Uh, mine would be uh, I wasn't actually a big gamer, so I've played like three video games, four video games ever. No, <laughs> can I include The Sims? Sure. <laughs> uh, but when I very first got my first video game console, and it was the Mario, what's the one where it, he's just running and he's jumping to get coins? and then you go down tunnels. Doo, 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 doo. It's Mario Brothers. Mario Brothers. Yeah. When we got that, and I was really little, and I played it, and I, there's the first green tunnel you get to, and I didn't know how to work the remote control, and neither did my mom, and every time I got to it, I just stood there and I started crying.
1: Oh, <laughs> no. no. <laughs> it was pathetic. baby Stacy. <laughs> uh,
2: what? Uh, Curtis, do you have one?
1: Uh, Controller tossing, man. I mean, there have been some pretty incredible battles i've had with friends and like madden and stuff where they get away with one clearly even though it's a computer simulation but <laughs> like you can't really they don't have any influence over calls and whatnot uh yeah there have been some some pretty intense fifa is a fifa is a video game where if you are are, are dueling with a buddy And it gets down to like the 90th minute or like extra time and they score a goal on you. Yeah, you're throwing your control. Yeah.
2: What I need to know, what a great question from Brittany. If you're running late and only have time for eyeshadow or liner, what do you pick? Also, what's your brow product? Thank you for asking, Brittany. Uh. I use Anastasia. (laughs) I use Anastasia brow freeze and then some powder. And uh, I always go mascara. Same. Dior. (laughs) You guys too. Co-signing. Signing. Yeah, same. Uh, all right, you guys. Uh, today was a fun day. Uh, we've had a lot of quarterback talk the last couple days here. Lots to get to. Thank you again to Gino Smith for joining us. Uh, and uh, if you guys missed any of today's show, don't forget you can listen to it wherever you get your podcast with the Bump and Stacey podcast. If you are not subscribed, well, you better. And in fact. If you want to subscribe and also rate and review, please do that as well. Here's what's still to come today. Um, You have uh, a tip-off at 2.30 between the Wazoo Cougs, between our Cougs bump, and number four, Oregon. That's coming your way at 2.30. But we've got a pregame show coming your way next. Don't go anywhere. Go Cougs! (laughs)